Princess Bride might just be my all-time favorite movie. It's not just funny. It has so many memorable lines that you can adapt for other purposes. One of the best sort of reusable lines comes from the scene where the Sicilian says, Inconceivable. And the swordsman in Diego Montoya says, You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Often, when I hear people talk about organic, I find myself thinking about Inigo's line. Because surveys show that, for many consumers, organic really doesn't mean what they think it means. So on today's segment of Pop Agriculture, we'll take a closer look at the history and the current realities of organic farming. This is Pop Agriculture, the podcast that blends pop culture with agriculture to tell the stories of the plants, processes, and people who have shaped modern crop production. A true farm-to-table connection that puts food into perspective with your passionate plant scientist host, Steve Savage. Now, lots of people believe that organic means no pesticides, and that's simply not true. The organic rules definitely allow farmers to use pesticides, and that's a good thing, because like any farmer, organic growers have to deal with pests. To put this in Princess Bride terms, think about this modification of one of Wesley's classic lines. Life means having to deal with pests, Highness, and anyone who tells you differently is selling something. For any growing system, farmers who are being smart and responsible in dealing with those pests combine several control approaches. They they strive to use what's termed integrated pest management, or IPM. They grow pest-resistant plants if they can. They encourage the natural enemies of the pests as much as possible. Sometimes they just find ways to avoid the pests. Sometimes they can confuse the pests with repellents or pheromones. But in a good IPM program, pesticide applications are often a critical element to not only adequately protect the crop, but also to maintain the usefulness of some of those other elements. So the rules that organic farmers must follow definitely allow certain pesticide to be used as part of the system. The difference is that organic growers are mostly limited to using pesticides that are considered natural, and there are a few synthetic products they're also allowed to use. There's an extensive list of the pesticides that are approved for organic use, and you can find it on the USDA's website. And that list includes things like mineral-based materials, plant extract, paraffinic oils, fermentation products, live biologicals, and the like. These are pesticides that are widely used by both organic and conventional farmers. I checked a recent year of California's pesticide use data and found that 45% of the total pounds of pesticides applied to all the crops in that state were in categories that can be used for organic production. So there's a major overlap in terms of which pesticides are used in these different production systems. Now, another thing that consumers may believe about organic is it means that the foods are safe, particularly when it comes to residues from pesticides. Is that true? Well, it makes sense to ask the U.S. Department of Agriculture because it's the federal agency that runs the National Organic Certification Program. And here's what they have to say on the main page of their organic program website. Quote, our regulations do not address food safety or nutrition. Hmm, not safety. Now, USDA isn't saying that organic isn't safe. They're just saying that the whole safety thing isn't part of the organic certification program that the USDA oversees. 
the safety of food, particularly when it comes to an issue like pesticide residues, is the job of the Environmental Protection Agency, or EPA. Whether the pesticide is considered natural or synthetic, it's the EPA's job to determine if it can be used safely. Now, natural is another word that may not mean what you think it means. For decades, we consumers have been bombarded with marketing messages implying that natural means good and safe. Natural certainly can mean safe, but some of the most dangerous and toxic chemicals that exist are natural. Think about snake or spider venom, or chemicals in a host of poisonous plants, or cyanide or mycotoxins. I could go on and on. The point is that the natural limitation of organic pesticides is not a guarantee of safety. Each natural product still needs to be evaluated by the Environmental Protection Agency. The EPA reviews all the information available about the toxicity, the metabolism, breakdown rate of any kind of pesticides, and then they approve or disapprove their use. And they also periodically re-review all the pesticides that are out there to take into account any new studies or new science that's come along. They also set the rules about the rates and the timing of application and all those details. And one of the things that they ensure is that by the time the food gets to us, any remaining pesticide residues are well below any level that could cause harm. Then it's up to the farmers to follow these rules. Again, this is the same for both organic and conventional growers. Then there's another group within the USDA that checks on the food in the marketplace to see if the system's working, working for the safety of conventional food and working for the safety of organic food. Every year, the USDA gathers around 10,000 random samples of food from groceries and markets in the U.S. They test for pesticide residues, and what they find is really quite encouraging. Year after year, the conclusion is basically, yes, there are some pesticide residues that a skilled chemist can detect. This is true on both organic and conventional samples. But in both those cases, what they find is at levels so low as to be of no concern. The system works. Organic and conventional farmers are able to control pests and consumers can safely enjoy what the farmers are thus able to produce for us. All this information is available in public data sets and public summary documents. Unfortunately, this isn't the story that consumers are always getting. For many consumers, the very presence of organic food in the stores conveys a different message, a message that is often the reason that organic might not mean what you think it means. What is unavoidably being implied by the presence of organic in our stores is that we have a two-tier food system. And what many consumers hear is that if you want to be really, really safe or be a really responsible parent or really, really healthy, you need to select organic and be willing to pay more for it. But think about it. If we really did have a two-tiered food system in terms of safety, wouldn't that represent a major failure of our regulatory system? I mean, shouldn't our systems be designed to protect all Americans, not just those who can afford to pay a price premium? A two-tiered system would discriminate against anyone with a more limited income. That would totally violate our values. Now, fortunately, that isn't the case. But do people know that? Now, the USDA is very blunt when it says that organic isn't a safety certification. But do you ever see that message uh, in the marketing of organic food products? I'd say no. 
If we're honest, there are a lot of food marketers and food retailers who are quite happy to offer the organic upsell. It's a segment driven by this sort of two-tiered concept. And those companies can honestly say that they're just trying to offer choices to meet consumer demand, um, to say, as you wish, going back to a Princess Bride analogy. Still, regardless of the motivations, I like to call this phenomenon reaping profits by sowing doubt. Now, unfortunately, this doubt and this sort of pervasive two-tier myth gets in the way of people eating as healthy a diet as they could. On the whole, when you look at surveys, Americans eat fewer fruits and vegetables than virtually all health and diet experts would recommend. And produce is well documented to have a wide variety of positive health benefits, but many Americans just don't get as much as they should. Now, there are many reasons for our less-than-ideal produce consumption. Some of it's just being too busy. But at least in the case of some low-income consumers, it has been documented that these shoppers simply avoid produce because they think they would have to pay more to be safe and they can't afford it. That is definitely not a good outcome. And I don't think this phenomenon is limited to the poor. It's conceivable that this two-tiered myth about organic contributes to this overall shortfall in U.S. produce consumption. At the very least, the phenomenon of people that thinking organic means something that it doesn't mean isn't helpful when it comes to improving our diets. So you might be asking, okay, even if organic doesn't mean no pesticides or even safer, isn't it better for the environment? Is buying organic still a way that I can vote for something more sustainable with my food dollars? Is organic farming better for the environment? That's a complicated question. First of all, there are not just two kinds of farming, organic and conventional. There's a whole range of farming methods that are practiced under each of those umbrellas, and a lot more overlap than most people would imagine. If you think about most of the pop culture references to something being complicated, they have to do with love. For instance, the line from the Rihanna song, Why is everything with you so complicated? Well, maybe it's fitting that questions about the environment and farming are so complicated, because it does have to do with love. Lots of us love the environment and strive to protect it. We also love food. Of course, we all need food to survive, but fortunately, there can be a lot more enjoyment that goes on with food that's far beyond just what we need. So what we really want is both a healthy environment and a good, safe food supply. Now, there are times those two goals can conflict. I mean, after all, farming has the largest physical footprint of any human endeavor. Currently, about 11% of global land area or 38% if you include land used for grazing, is involved in agriculture. And on a crop-by-crop and region-by-region basis, there are more and less environmentally friendly ways to farm. And I'm happy to say that the better methods are widely used, and this is true for organic and conventional. Now, the state of the art in terms of environmentally friendly farming isn't something that falls neatly along organic versus conventional lines. Indeed, sometimes the best practices are harder to follow under the organic rules. Now, looking back, 
I think it's fair to say that the organic movement was way ahead of its time from an environmental point of view when it started in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the key contribution that came from these pioneers of organic farming was understanding the importance of building soil health. That was something that was being seriously ignored by the dominant agricultural systems of that time. Mainstream farming back in that area involved a whole lot of mechanical disturbance of the soil, during plowing to bury the crop residue, tillage to get the field ready to plant in the spring, and more tillage to control weeds throughout the growing season. And all this tillage was degrading the organic matter of the soil, and that made it prone to erosion, depletes nutrients, and reduces the water-holding capacity of the soil. The organic farming solution was to replace that soil organic matter that was lost to tillage by hauling in large amounts of manure or compost or by growing cover crops or interim crops just for soil improvement. So early organic did take a lead environmentally. In another podcast titled To Till or Not to Till, I talk about the next revolution for soil health that started around the 1960s as farmers found that they could work out ways to grow crops without significant tillage. Instead of depending on plows, they controlled the weeds with herbicides and they drilled the seed through the surface debris from the previous crop. This has become widely accepted as the direction for environmentally conscious farming. And no-till has become sort of a gold standard for sustainable production, especially for the big row crops. There are ways to do no-till for organic, but it's probably nothing that can be done on the kind of scale that we would need to take agriculture to where it needs to go on a large scale. Now, I spoke earlier about integrated pest management, the approach of using sprayed pesticides as needed, but always in conjunction with several other pest control strategies. So there isn't too much reliance on any one method. And I would say that most conventional farmers today use IPM, and the virtually all organic farmers do. However, sometimes the natural pesticide limitation for organic works against their ability to have a really balanced IPM program. There are examples where organic growers lack a sufficiently effective pesticide to balance their IPM system. And sometimes that meant they ended up selecting for resistance to the plant genetic resistance to pest. There are also cases where the most effective, lowest environmental impact pesticide option happens to be synthetic so that an organic farmer can't use it. As I said before, the criterion for what the organic farmer can use is strictly about whether it's natural, not about whether it's the safest or least environmentally impactful option. None of the options that are allowed are unacceptable because they're all regulated, but sometimes the best option isn't one that the organic farmer is allowed to use. Organic farmers are also not allowed to use crops that are genetically modified or GMO crops. That can mean not being able to do a more environmentally friendly kind of farming. There's a recent example where scientists were able to move a disease resistance gene from a wild potato into important cultivated potatoes using biotech. In theory, this is something you might be able to do with conventional breeding, but it would have taken decades because the wild potatoes are so different from the commercial ones. And if somebody went to all that work, the end result would be the same thing that had been achieved with the biotech methods. 
Now, some conventional growers are likely to get the benefit of using these new disease-resistant potatoes fairly soon. And the expectation is that they'll be able to cut the number of fungicide applications that they have to make each year in half. They'll be using a more integrated pest management approach. And they'll also see other environmental benefits in terms of less energy use and less soil compaction that comes from making fewer spray trips across the field. That kind of option isn't available to the organic growers, even in this case where it's a potato gene in a potato. One of the trickier environmental challenges of farming is the ability to apply the, the right amount of fertilizer during the times when the crop needs a lot of it and actively growing, but not having a lot there at other times when that growth phase has passed. The ability to bring fertilizer levels up and down quickly is something that allows for optimal growth, but prevents excess applications that can end up in the groundwater or in the atmosphere as a greenhouse gas. This kind of just-in-time nutrient delivery is most practical with water-soluble synthetic fertilizers delivered through something like a drip irrigation system. The kinds of natural fertilizers that are allowed for organic growers aren't nearly as amenable to this sort of delivery method and this goal of closely matching nutrient supplies with the changing crop demand. And there's another major reason that organic farming isn't the ideal answer to our complicated desire to protect the environment and enjoy the benefits of food. In most cases, a farmer growing under the organic rules isn't able to produce as much of their crop per acre of land because they don't have access to all the options available to the conventional grower, usually something to do with fertilization or pest control. And this organic yield gap has been confirmed in academic studies and in survey data from commercial growers. It generally takes from 10 to 40% more land to produce the same amount of a crop if you're doing it under the organic rules. To the extent that organic is a very small fraction of total agriculture, this land use efficiency issue isn't a big deal. But it is a reason that organic can't be the big answer for sustainable farming. Now, some would say that because organic farmers have to deal with lots of constraints, they provide sort of an incubator for searching for alternative methods. And I would say that there definitely are organic farmers who are important innovators, but that's also something that's true of a great many conventional growers. Now, there's one more way in which organic might not mean what you think it means. Sometimes organic versus conventional is portrayed as, as some sort of epic struggle between two opposing forces. I think the closer you get to the farming end of the food system, the less that is true. In some ways, this struggle seems to be a bit trumped up, kind of like the conflict between Florin and Gilder in Princess Bride. There are lots of organic and conventional farming neighbors who get along just fine. And in fact, there are a great many farmers who tend some of their land as organic and the rest as conventional. In the fruit and vegetable sector, which has the highest percentage of organic, there are businesses called grower shippers, and they are the ones that collect the produce from lots of growers, pack it, and get it delivered to stores. In almost every case, these grower shipper companies offer both organic and conventional products. And most of the companies that develop pest control methods for farmers 
are actively involved in developing and marketing both natural and synthetic options. And both organic and conventional farmers are their customers. Even the companies that are involved in the development of biotech crops all have extensive conventional breeding efforts as well, and often sell seeds that organic farmers can use. I've just got to say that from the agriculture side, one is hard-pressed to find signs of an epic struggle. I sometimes wish there was a better way to tap into all the excellent intentions that people have in associated with the ideals of organic, as opposed to some of the limitations of the rules. Consumers just want to make safe, healthy food choices, and that's great. I wish they would have more confidence in the excellent choices they already have and eat a diet that was even richer in fruits and vegetables. And many consumers want to vote for environmentally sound farming using their food dollars. That's a noble instinct, and I wish we all had some much more objective way to identify those best choices. I'll be doing a future podcast on the big question of how to measure agricultural sustainability, because that would be a much better way to allow consumers to make those environmentally conscious choices. So, I hope that today's segment touched at least on some of the ways that organic might not mean what you think it means. You can follow me on Twitter at GrapeDoc, at G-R-A-P-E-D-O-C, and visit my blog at www.popagriculture.com.